0: Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we have one of my friends, and it's kind of cool on the show because I get to bring my friends on this show and we get to chat it up and talk politics and everything else, but I have one of the most dynamic, uh, not just black, not just woman, but dynamic human beings in politics, Amanda Edwards. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thank you for that introduction, Bakari.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you know, we go way back. We go way, <laughs> way back. You know, we start each one of our episodes the same way, Amanda. And so we like people to walk us through the arc of their careers. And so yours has spanned private practice and public service. Walk us through your career stop since finishing Harvard. And what are you up to now other than running for mayor of Houston?
1: well other than running for mayor of Houston um it's it's been a really interesting journey of public service for me and i know that you can understand this walk um a lot of what has motivated me over time has actually just been to be in places where you're most needed so not, not always being in the spaces where we're most comfortable so of course coming out of harvard law one would expect me just to you know go into the private sector and and, and stay there but of course there was something else tugging at me and one thing that's kind of part of my background or experience growing up is that um, while I had always been interested in public service, I really began to appreciate purpose behind public service when I was growing up. And my dad was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is a form of cancer. And I remember as a teenager uh, asking him a lot of questions like, who's going to cover this? How does this insurance stuff work? This was my first real encounter with what insurance was and how it intersected with our healthcare system or the lack thereof. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is really crazy. And if they say no, then you just don't get treatment and you die and you know, and it was just very dramatic but it's real life and death for a lot of people. So that's been kind of a, a motivating force behind a lot of what I've sought to do over the years in public service is just to respond to the needs of community with urgency. So when I graduated from Harvard, As you asked me uh, to start from there, when I graduated, I moved down to New Orleans because Hurricane Katrina had just happened. And so I wanted to get down there. Of course, I clerked in federal court during the weekdays, but on the weekends, I taught seventh graders how to use writing as a tool of empowerment, just so that we could kind of help with that human capital that needed to be restored. And so that was a really pivotal point for me where I knew that whatever I ended up doing and I knew public service was a part of that but regardless investing in whatever community that is was really important so I went back home to Houston I started practicing law and Vincent and Elkins and then at Bracewell as a municipal finance lawyer so I was doing things like issuing tax-exempt bonds to build schools and hospitals and things public purpose projects and facilitating public-private partnerships but Outside of that, I was working in the community, so I got to chair the board of an organization called Project Row Houses, which is an arts-based community transformation organization, and it's incredible in Third Ward in Houston, and just got a chance to my hands on a lot of community-based things. So we ultimately decided to throw my hat in the ring and not, again, to align with purpose, not being in the space where I was most comfortable. Many people don't really know that I don't love politics, um, but I love public service. So um, it was about getting in that space where I wasn't the most comfortable, but in order for me to get to the place where I was most needed. And it was an incredible journey for me from there.
0: And that I hope people are listening to that about not being comfortable and where you're most needed that that's that's kind of, like that's uncomfortable uh, apparently most people <laughs> like to live in a, the era of comfortability a lot of people who listen to the show of political junkies uh, uh, some of whom will run for office themselves for a young person thinking about running for office that's listening now what would your advice to them be as someone who has been a candidate and served in multiple areas
1: yes, I think. First, you've got to make sure that you can answer confidently what your why is. And your why has to center on more than just self. If your why is about wanting to hold a particular office or see yourself in a particular way, that's that's not going to be sufficient, not for you and not for the community you seek to serve. That why has to revolve on how it is that someone else's life Can be better as a result of your service. So one of the things I I served as an at-large city council member when I ran for for office the first time, we ended up, you know, as they call it, coming out of nowhere um, because I hadn't run before and ran citywide and ended up getting more votes than anybody running for office at the time, Mm. including our mayor, because we focused on the community and we focused on all communities and we focused on what mattered to them most. But when I got into office, I recognized that We do a good job sometimes on the campaign trail, but we don't really create dynamics in which people's lives can really actually improve. And so sometimes you find that democracy is not just eroded by what battles are occurring with the laws about access to voting. Sometimes it's eroded by the fact that people don't see the results of the things that were promised to them on that campaign trail. We're
0: seeing that today.
1: Yeah, we know how to find you. We know what time you like to go get coffee when it's time for us to go canvass and door-to-door campaign season, but we don't know how to find you and when it's time to deposit in your lives. And one thing that was really striking to me when I was serving as an at-large Houston City Council member was that we mobilized hundreds of volunteers to go door-to-door canvassing seniors that were low-income, their homes, because we realized that they were not uh, removing the walls that had been soiled by the floodwaters. We didn't want them to have mold. And so I started a program to start canv- canvassing those areas. Well, interestingly enough, it was the second worst disaster in US history at that time. And the first thing people would ask when I would step foot on their doorsteps was, Are you up for an election already? And it was because we conditioned people to believe that the only time you're elected official. Should be present and on your doorstep is when we need something from you and so i hearken back to the original question which is looking at your why and if your why is to restore people's faith and confidence in government if your why has something to do with transformative differences in the lives of others then go for it and make sure you've got the pre- preparation needed and you're willing to work hard, it is not going to be easy, but nothing that it doesn't necessarily mean that just because it's your path is destined to be easy. And I think people sometimes have that misnomer and think that, oh, if I'm on my way or if this is for me, it's going to be simple or it's going to be always enjoyable. Sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're laughing with such familiarity.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, True indeed and lonely. It can be very, very lonely. Before we talk about your campaign and what's going on in Texas in 2022, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the implications of the draft opinion that was leaked effectively repealing Roe and Casey. First, I'm going to ask you to put your law school hat on. So explain to folks what Roe and Casey uh, did and why this draft opinion is so wild and how will it affect women in states like Texas?
1: You know, very simply put. This is removing 49 years of precedent um, whereby we, were, uh, we had a, a boundary around which uh, women's reproductive rights, access to abortion was protected. Now what they're saying with this draft opinion is that the states can decide. Um, there is no federal uh, precedent, federal legal precedent that establishes this right to a, to a, for women to access abortion, and so as a result, we already know. I happen to live in one of the states that has already said we're not going to allow access to re- women's reproductive rights, even in which is which is the most unbelievable part of this there are no exceptions in Texas so if there's rape if there's incest it's some of the strictest laws and so now the state it is up to the states to make a decision for a woman what she chooses to do with her body and with her reproductive choices and it repeals all of the precedent that's been established the only thing that we have left now i think is really looking at Uh, the codification on the federal level because the courts are now repealing or going back on 49 years of precedent. And now we have the um, really, really need to make that push for there to be codification of this women's reproductive rights on a federal level. Otherwise, half the states will probably uh, remove women's access to having an abortion and their reproductive rights. And if you think about and harken back on what was happening in our country before uh, the precedent was established that a woman did have a right to choose, uh, we were having people die. It was a public health crisis. People were Dying in back alleys with uh, illegal procedures. So uns- let me ask
0: you this: You still you agree with the statement that women are still going to get abortions? They'll just be less safe.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's happened over generations and generations, and people will die from it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and there will be some women who can fly across state lines um, who will be able to access. Uh, an, an abortion, and but there'll be plenty of women, particularly women of color and women who are low income, who will not have that luxury to fly across state lines. And so what happens to her? What happens to her children, her family, all of the rest of the community that will see what happens when you don't have safe ways to access abortion in this country.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Let's yes. just get this question out of the way. Why the hell are you running for mayor? <laughs> I can, I wouldn't, I ain't want to be nobody's mayor. I don't care when your trash get picked up. I'm not gonna have the snow plows out there. But, but you, it, it's a, and it's a whole lot of y'all running for mayor of Houston. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it's, a, I got a lot of friends in this race. Shout <laughs> out, has has Edward Pollard announced he running for mayor? Listen,
1: I am not opining on the other candidates. No
0: I just want to know that, that there, we we there call, are no we call. It's
1: coming from me today. No, we no. Call,
0: let me just tell you, we call we call Pollard Fresh because he stayed fresh <laughs> in college. That was don't his... tell
1: me that. I don't even want to ask. I'm not gonna ask. Why? No, I, I
0: gotta, I gotta, we gotta see if Fresh is running. But I got a lot of friends running <laughs> for mayor of Houston. So why are you running? And I mean, in, I don't want to really hear the 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 elevator pitch, but what are your campaign yeah. priorities in terms of policy and meeting this moment for Houston voters?
1: Absolutely. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the interview, I I've had the opportunity. to both be elected and to serve the 2.3 million Houstonians in our community. And it was a deep honor and passion of mine to do so in ways that were transformative. I don't think it's enough just simply to show up and be in a swivel chair with your name on it. I think we've got to really dig deep and impact people in ways that they can see democracy truly work for them. So one of the things that I did when I was a city council member, is, in addition to making sure we were going out into communities, meeting with them where they were, addressing their needs and, and, and providing real solutions to issues that matter to them, we also made sure that we were finding ways to seize opportunities for our community. So one thing that I was really proud of is I got to start the tech and innovation task force for the city, which has now led to the creation of an innovation district in our city. So looking at ways that we can create a renaissance where people have the opportunity to thrive small business ownership, particularly for women and minorities, we have huge disparities in the city of Houston in terms of accessing capital, scaling one's business, the ability to share in the sales and receipts and the profit in our arena. And so I started a task force for that. Now I run an alliance where we're working on ways to reduce those disparities. I believe that it does you no good just to be the most diverse city in the country, which and is, unless you solve the challenges that diverse communities face. And that means sharing an economic opportunity. So economic opportunity for everyone to thrive is a key piece of why I'm running for office. But other components include things like the fact that every Houstonian deserves to live in a safe neighborhood. Just like most cities, we're seeing an increase in our crime. And I think it's important for us to all recognize that all communities deserve to be protected and served in ways that also are effective. And so part of that is making sure we've got community policing and we have the resources that we need to have to the appropriate response or for the response that is needed at that time the other thing that i think is really important is flood preparation Um, unfortunately in houston that's a real issue i've lived through many floods and i was a leader an elected office so i bring those skills to the table and i would also say looking at our city finances there are potholes in our city there are uh, issues with garbage collection in our city None of those are because people just want to see their residents frustrated. They're really a product of a broader issue of the city's finances. So I think I am uniquely positioned, I'm uniquely prepared to address some of those lingering challenges like finances, me having been a municipal finance lawyer, me having had the experiences through these storms, but also to really move the city forward in a way that it's inclusive and that... Everyone has that opportunity to thrive, much like a renaissance that I think we all deserve.
0: I mean, it, and I'm not picking on uh, people who don't get their trash picked up, but that—that's just not Bakari Sellers' ministry. But I will say, you are running in an <laughs> Bacari, open. You don't want
1: anybody fussing at you about oh, no. the trash.
0: No, I, I got my little. I got a little bit of that with. Uh, I tell that story all the time about that woman who kept calling me to get the uh, get the raccoon out of her attic when I was a state legislator. And we didn't have animal control. So,
1: when, when did you go
0: get it? So, I said, Mom, you need to get dad. <laughs> she, was, she was calling. My mom was calling, leaving little pink sticky notes in my office uh-huh. about the fact that we were too poor to have an animal control office. I said, I'm never running for local office. Call your, <laughs> call your that mayor. That's where
1: the rubber meets the road. I'm telling you. <laughs> You know the difference between being able to leave, go to the Capitol. When you are elected official in local office, your office is everywhere. You can be in the grocery store, you can be in the gym, I, I, everywhere. You can your mailbox, and they're like, "Ooh, they see you," and it's constituent constituent response time, and you better love it. That's why I said on that why you better make sure that why has something to do with these pe- the people you serve. Because if it doesn't, that that would not be a good fit.
0: No, it's not. You're running in an open race to succeed. Uh, Houston's mayor, Sylvester Turner, he's been fantastic, but even the best mayor after eight years won't solve every problem. And you highlighted a few of them. So if you win, what would be your top two or three priorities and how would you tackle them?
1: I think we have to look at the basics, right? The meat and potatoes, things that people are just as a fundamental level gonna be concerned about. And I think if you look at that, safety is gonna be one of them, right? Nobody wants to go home and see that their home has been robbed. Nobody, you know, that's just a violation of, of your, your person, and I think that's important to make sure all Houstonians, no matter what neighborhood you're from, feel safe. I think the other piece of this, too, is making sure people have opportunity. And so I talked a lot about economic opportunity. How do we create opportunity? We saw the disparities um, when we, with respect to the PPP loans, right? Yeah. Where Shake yeah. Shack was getting 10 million and mom and pop shop uh, down the street had to shut down. And minority owned businesses in particular were fell prey to that. And, and obviously were succumbed to having to close their doors so many times. And so looking at ways as a city that we are being more dynamic and opportunity that's being provided, making sure people know Houston is open for business, particularly small business ownership. We want to make sure that we're facilitating that opportunity. I think it speaks to um, when people have opportunity, you're going to see less crime. It speaks to the root causes of some of the issues we experience, not all, but some. And I think if you provide that opportunity, that optimism, economic opportunity, but also look at ways that you keep your residents safe, those are kind of some of the primary meat and potatoes issues that people are going to be looking at when they think about what your legacy is as mayor of the city of Houston.
0: I mean, that's pretty cool. How can people follow your campaign and get involved?
1: Absolutely. So our website is www edwardsforhouston.com for Houston.com. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Amanda K. Edwards TX on Instagram and Facebook, and then AK Edwards TX on Twitter. And then, of course, you can just follow Bukari because he'll be retweeting me.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will retweet. Every you he
1: can get Because Gosh. we're good friends.
0: We are good friends. Man, I, I told y'all I got, yeah, this this race about this race is about good to be expensive. On you, no, this race is about to be expensive for Bakari Sellers. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I got I got kids I gotta pay for. It. And everybody running for mayor of Houston. Something I wanted to talk That's to you right. about. That's something right. I wanted to so talk you see, to you care. about was I what I do care. I, I would talk to you about was what I see in this new generation of young black mayors that we see leading our cities a group that you hope you'll join. How important is it that you have peer mayors to bounce things off of if you were to win? And what young mayors have you been watching as you shape your campaign and envision how you're governed? I'm thinking about like Randall Wolfen, I'm thinking about Chokwe Lamomba. I'm thinking about Frank Scott, um, you know, all of these individuals, Andre Dickens, um, who have, you know, risen to the top of their respected city governments.
1: I think it's incredible that you see this wave of new leadership coming into play, but not just leadership that closes the door behind them. I think what the people that you just mentioned, half of them I've talked to on the phone, they've given me advice and counsel, they're willing to be partners and and to share advice, because they want to see this new wave of leadership succeed. It is tough when you are uh, breaking barriers of a variety of sorts. It can be A lonely experience, it can be a very difficult one. And I think what also this new wave of leadership is demonstrating is that they're trying to lift all ties and really bring others on board to do the same. And so I really applaud the tremendous amount of courage that they've exhibited, but more importantly, their ability to execute. They're doing an incredible job across the country. They're being noted across the country for the work that they're doing. So not just the campaigns that they ran, but the work they got done once they came in office. And I think it's the most important critical question that a lot of these leaders can ask and answer is not to just ask me what I'm interested in, ask me what I've done. And if you can measure me by what I've been able to produce, the difference in people's lives that I've been able to make. I think that's the type of transformative leader that we need. And the examples that you mentioned are are exactly that.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
3: you know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And, of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
0: So, look, I got one more question for you. I know we're about to get out of here, but zooming out, can you help is out? Is it how to donate? Well, no. I mean, you... Um- <laughs> Oh, we will get to that. We will get to that because you can't run these campaigns on love and well wishes. Trust me. Uh, Can you help our listeners understand just how many challenges um, people expect mayors to fix from policing to housing to public health and COVID to inclusive economic development to the basics like fixing potholes and picking up trash? How difficult is the work of the modern post-COVID mayor? And why do you think you're the right fit for this job in a city as large as Houston?
1: Well, I will say it is a very difficult job. And for those who think that it's a job where they can waltz in and put their feet up, They are absolutely incorrect. It is a job that requires 24 seven attention, but not just attention to the issues, experience and dealing with them. And that's what I bring to bear. I have experience having served as an at large Houston city council member. I know how to navigate the challenges of our finances. We've got a budgetary deficit that is enormous and we're going to have to tackle with the new mayor coming into place. And that's going to be an issue that uh, she gets to to, to have on her plate. But I would also say, dealing with the constituent response. Nobody nobody is concerned about the city budget when they want that garbage removed or they want that pothole fixed. They just want the service. They don't care if it's the city, the county. And so the intergovernmental work that has to be done with respect to disaster preparedness, unfortunately in Houston, we see a lot of that working with the county, working with the state, working with the feds, making sure that you have the resources in place and have a plan that is comprehensive enough so that it's a seamless experience for the resident. The resident doesn't care who's responsible for what. They know who their mayor is and they're going to call you for every single one of those things, whether it's under your purview or not. So having a system in place where it's customer based, it's customer focused, resident centered, is really critical for people to feel that satisfaction they need uh, to feel out of their city and so it's it's the garbage removal it's the potholes but it's also can you come to my a community event. We have yep. had a very energetic mayor and Mayor Turner. He has been very present in the community. And I think the community deserves that and will continue to expect the same for their next mayor. So it's about being present. It's about getting things done. It's about creating opportunity. And it's also about fixing things and being effective at it. And I will tell you, as someone who has been at City Hall, it is a challenging place to navigate, but I am the candidate in this race that knows how to navigate it but also walk and chew gum, meaning seize those opportunities that we could otherwise miss if we don't have the right leadership in place.
0: How can you donate?
1: All right. I like it. You can go to www.edwardsburghouston.com and whatever that is, even if it's a whatever your Starbucks is on Fridays and donating that amount, or if it's a recurring donation on a monthly basis, um, you can do whatever it is that is within your means, but every little bit counts. And we really appreciate the platform of Akari. You always, I will embarrass you for just a moment. Um, people don't applaud you enough for how much you do to elevate, create opportunities for other people. So you are an example of that. I know you've been in public service before and you get it, but you continue to elevate it no matter what your platform is, you continue to elevate others. So I want to thank you for that.
0: I appreciate you. I love you, Amanda. Yep. Amanda Edwards, ladies and gentlemen, running to be the next mayor of the great city of Houston. And when the Texans suck again this year, we're gonna blame <laughs> hey, we, we've been blaming Sylvester Turner. No, I will say years, the mayor is
1: not responsible for Oh the no,
0: we we bl- we blaming you. No. Oh,
1: you <laughs> will not blame me. The mayor is not responsible for that. Okay. I will, right. I will claim a lot of things, but that will that <laughs> one I will not claim claim responsibility for.
0: All right, be safe. Thank you so okay. much.
1: Thank All you.
0: Right. Bye love. Bye bye.